Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton. I'm the founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Ween, senior pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. He's also a Transforming Community alumni, which means that he and I have been in relationship for a long time. We know how to have fun in a conversation, and we are looking forward to having fun together today. Welcome to episode three, everybody, and we are diving into prayer, deepening our intimacy with God. Uh, welcome, Ruth. Thanks. Uh, and uh, so let's dive right in. Mm-hmm. Let's say a pastor or ministry leader pulls you aside at a gathering and they tell you that uh, sort of with an aghast look on their face, I, I don't know that I know how to pray anymore. I feel like I've, I've lost it. Yeah. How would you interact with them? Well, first of all, I'd say, great. <laughs> that means that the Holy Spirit can start praying. You know, yes. it means that you can begin again. I mean, I'm so excited for a pastor who feels like they can honestly say, I've come to the end of what I've been oh. doing. I just think it's such a moment of opportunity spiritually. And it's a time of being, you know, wide open and tender and vulnerable, as opposed to just thinking that you know it all and bringing that professional persona to the whole thing. So honestly, I feel like there's so much potential for a deeper spiritual journey and for a deepening intimacy with God when we could admit that we don't know how to pray anymore because that's exactly what the Bible says. Yes. In Romans 8, it says, we do not know how to pray as we ought. Who does know how to pray? The Holy Spirit. And in fact, the Holy Spirit's already praying. So when we run out of our own words and we run out of our own techniques, what does that mean? That the Holy Spirit's still praying. Praying is still happening. And now there's just more freedom for the Holy Spirit, you know, to pray as the Holy Spirit knows how to pray. And maybe we can start learning how to join the Holy Spirit in the prayer that the Holy Spirit's already been praying for us. And maybe we can begin again. And I, that's that's what I love the most is the opportunity for pastors and leaders who have done this for so many years and have done it professionally to say, oh, I get to begin again. So, Oh, there's so much freedom in that. And even as you're talking, every one of these episodes – and you've said it every time, but it really is a relinquishing of control. Exactly. Like we really yeah. realize, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I'm in control of my prayer. Yes, exactly. I'm, I'm in control of my scripture yeah, reading. That's I'm in right. Control. And I've actually made a thing out of it. Yes. See, like when you're a pastor, you've also made a thing out right. of your ability to pray. So now you've made a profession out of it and you, you know, make it a, an area of performance. And so to be able to let go of all that and to cultivate something that's more intimate and personal for you as a pastor is a tremendous opportunity. All right, so um, I've heard you say that it's important to understand that as you grow in spiritual maturity, you're going to undergo transitions in your prayer life uh, where you do feel like you've lost the mm-hmm. ability to pray, but really you're growing into in, into the next chapter of your mm-hmm. life of prayer. And that's, I think, why you would say, yes. congratulations, yes, that's right. <laughs> you've graduated. Uh, so, But what do you mean by that? Because I think that's a real foreign concept yeah. for most of mm-hmm. us. Well, a metaphor that I like to use to talk about this has to do with the potted plant. You know that in the springtime when you want to plant impatience in your yard or tomato plants or whatever, you'll go to the nursery and you'll buy these little uh, plants that are usually in flats and they are in very tight little containers. And uh, what that plant needs in order to grow is to be taken out of that plastic container and to be placed in a bigger container or to be placed in the ground where there's more nutrients. And when you pull that plant out of its little container, what do you find? 
it's a square it's a rectangle it's all roots there's no dirt and they are so ready to be replanted and that's how i feel about this aspect of the prayer Mm. life is that when the prayer practices and techniques that you've been using that you grew up with that were part of your early christian life when they have become too small, when they become too tight, when there's no more nutrients for you, you know, you, the roots are wanting to find more, but there just literally is no more dirt. There's no more nutrients. Well, then we need to be taken out of our little potted plant thing and we need to be placed in a bigger container or placed in the ground where there's more nutrients. And to me, that's that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about moving to the bigger container and um, trying out some new aspects of prayer that can give us more nutrition, that can give us more space for intimacy with God, that more space to grow, a deeper place to put our roots down into. Um, so it's very, very exciting. So there's one kind of person that hears that and goes, oh, hallelujah. Yeah. There's another person that goes, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. That freaks me out. Right. I, I've, I've built my life around mm-hmm. controlling and structure, and I haven't meant for it to be bad, but... Mm-hmm. Um, help me not be so afraid. Yeah. Yeah, And it's not that it's bad. It's that it's just not big enough. It's just not enough. And so if we can trust God again, you know, trust that God is leading us and that God is overseeing our Mm -hmm. spiritual journey and let go and give up control. It is very challenging for more, more for some personalities than for others. Now, my personality tends to be the kind that likes to go out to the edge and find God there, but there are other personalities who find God in their security and all that. Um, so if we can trust God again with ourselves and with our lives, that can be very helpful. The other thing is that, you know, I mentioned when I described the transforming community experience that it's, um, set in, within the diversity of our, our Christian tradition and our own heritage. Well, our Christian tradition contains all of these yes. approaches to prayer. So we're not falling out of our own tradition. We're not falling outside of things that God has used down through the ages, to um, develop our intimacy with him. We're just probably moving to some bigger, broader place within the Christian tradition, but we're yeah. not outside of we're not outside of our own tradition. We're right. we're right there within it, which I hope gives people who tend towards fear a little bit of a sense of security that I'm still in my faith tradition. I'm still in the methods that God has used down through the ages um, right. to promote this kind of intimacy that we're seeking and looking for. Um, you think about that little tiny plant, you know, the minute you pull it out, it's dangling for right. a while out there. The roots have nothing. There's no support, no security. And yet it's such an important place to move through in order to come to this new, bigger container for yes. what it is that God's trying to do in our prayer life. When I first started to think this way, and it really was in in this retreat mm-hmm. in the Transforming uh, Community, I remember feeling such a sense of rest Mm -hmm. that I could rest in written prayers, that I could rest in a different kind of praying. You mentioned a way of praying, uh, a way of interceding for people Mm -hmm. that was just picturing, bringing them into the presence Mm -hmm. of Jesus and leaving them there without words. Mm -hmm. And that was such a grace for me. It was such a restful thing for me. And so um, can you mention just quickly even the the three four five different types of praying mm-hmm. for those of us that think spontaneous prayer is the only right. legitimate mm-hmm. way to pray because right. if you have to rely on some written prayer that must mean you're not mm-hmm. spiritual i mean that's yeah. really how i grew up i know I me too and it's that. embarrassing it's embarrassing when i see the depth <laughs> and the richness of these prayers yes. and who they came from they came from the church they came from the fathers yes. and mothers of the church they came from the deepest kind of theological grounding 
to think that I poo-pooed that and said, well, that can't be real because they're written. My spontaneous prayers are better and more so effective awesome. than that. I'm like so embarrassed that I ever felt yeah. that way, you know, but, uh, you know, I have to say that is what it was. I have to own it, you know? Okay. Yeah. So there are a number of ways of praying and we've already mentioned one. Silence is actually a form of prayer. Silence is prayer beyond words. And that's when you're sitting open and receptive to God and you literally are just letting the Holy Spirit pray. You're not working so hard at it. You're not bringing your own words to it. Uh, whatever groanings and longings there are in your own soul, it's enough that you experience them and open them before God. You trust that the Holy Spirit is praying for you with groans that are too deep for words. Again, Romans 8. Um, and so let's let's remember that everything that we're talking about here is actually a form of prayer. Yes. And silence is a form of prayer. It is prayer beyond words. Um, and it's beautiful and it's restful. It's Psalm 131. You know, you're like the weaned child that has received what it needs from God or knows that all it's going to get is going to come from this loving parent. And the, that child is just willing to rest there, you know, with the loving parent. That's Psalm 131. So that's one way. That was the first way that God began to lead me into some ways of praying that were bigger and had more nutrients for my prayer life. Uh, another one that's really surprised me has been the practice of fixed hour prayer because I thought that that was rote praying that really had no depth and meaning because people needed to have the prayers written down for yeah. them ahead of time. But fixed hour prayer is a wonderful way to pray because it connects your praying with the different fixed hours of the day. Yes. So the way we pray in the Transforming Center would be to pray in the morning, morning prayer, midday prayer when our human effort is at its height, and then evening prayer as a way to bring some closure to the day, and then night prayer as a way of entering into our rest in God. Those are the four main prayers. Now, there are seven typically in a monastic community, but again, we're remembering we just do four. We don't right. do seven. Um, but it has been a beautiful, restful way because when you pray around the fixed hours of the day, then you know when to pray. Yep. You know, that's already been decided for yep. you. Um, and then if you do it liturgically, so let's not let's not equate fixed with liturgical necessarily. You can pray at fixed hours of the day spontaneously. You could pray with silence, however you wanted to. But you could add a liturgical element and actually have written prayers. And there are many resources that, that make these prayers available. Uh, we've developed our own for use here in the Transforming Center because of, you know, what how we do our retreats and things like that. But there are lovely prayer books. Phyllis Tickle has the Divine Hours. Yes. Um, the, the Anglican Church has offered Hour by Hour, which is a slim volume based on the Book of Common Prayer, which is their prayer book. Um, the Methodists have their own fixed hour prayer resources. They're all wonderful. They're all rooted in the history of the church. And so when you stop at these fixed hours of the day, however, whatever you do at those fixed hours, the purpose is that we stop our human striving and our human activity and we find a way to orient ourselves to God. Oh, it's so, it's so beautiful. It's such a wonderful way to pray. Now, when you add liturgical prayers, prayers that are being provided for you, that means that you don't have to work really hard to figure out how you're going to pray at this hour. Um, the, the prayers are already there for you, and they are typically prayers that are either prayers taken straight out of Scripture or prayers that are taken out of our history and out of our shared common prayer books. And um, you can just rest by entering into these prayers. And one of the things that I have found is that these prayers express things that my heart would want to say. They express these universal longings of the human heart towards God, but they do them in better words than I would ever have. And so yeah. I find myself 
praying these things to God that are so deeply true, but I never would have been able to find a way to say them. Yes. And so I get to enter into something that expresses something that's almost inexpressible for me. And I'm a word person, so that's saying a lot. When I say I don't have the words and this says something that I wouldn't be able to find words to say, I'm actually saying a lot right there. Yeah. And I'm saying that I'm resting from my typical human striving of putting things into words, and I'm allowing these words that are offered to us in our own Christian tradition to actually help me to say things I want to say anyway. Oh, it's wonderful. Um, And so I describe what that means to me and what it has meant to me um, in sacred rhythms, and I try to guide people into the actual experience of that in our transforming community experiences. And the the other way of praying that has really relieved me of so much human effort and hard work has been the way of interceding that you've mentioned. And I put this forward in Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. Um, And that is where, um, by praying into some different categories of persons in your life, people who are in pain, people who are grieving, places in our world that feel irrevocably broken, um, people who have asked me to pray for them, my family, my friends, my intimate ones, that this way of praying, it's liturgical because the words and the categories are provided for you. But then... um, after you enter into that category of person, then you allow God to bring to mind Mm. anyone that God wants to bring to your heart and mind. So you've cultivated solitude as a place of trust and uh, receptivity to God. And so now that you've cultivated that on a personal level and you're spending time that way personally, then there comes a moment when you're saying, okay, God, is there anybody else that you'd like to bring into this intimate time that we're sharing? And through those categories... Um, God brings people. And yep. again now, intercession becomes not your prayer list and how you're praying around the world in 30 days or less or how you've <laughs> kept a prayer list that you're going to laboriously find your way through yeah. because I found intercession to be the most laborious thing I yes. got taught yes. in my early church life. It was so exhausting. I had given it up completely. Yeah. Um, it's overwhelming. It you're is overwhelming. You use all these words to pray for these people. You don't know what they need, really. Right. And Yes, and it's exhausting because now you say, well, I've set up told that person I'll pray for them now I have to remember it in order to stay faithful to my promise so now when people say will you pray for me I say back to them well I will as God brings you to mind yes but I'll often add and you know God loves us all so much he often he will bring you to mind I have no doubt that he'll bring you to mind but again the initiative is God's and not mine to remember so good Uh, and so as we talk about prayer and really so many of these rhythms so many of us without even knowing it, we turn it into a rule, mm-hmm. we turn it into another to-do, right. and really you're talking about deepening mm-hmm. our intimacy with God. Right. And so um, you've, you've mentioned that whatever patterns of intimacy and non-intimacy that we experience mm-hmm. in our human relationships, we t- carry those right into our relationship mm-hmm. with God. So can you say more about that? Yeah, yeah so one of the things that I would probably explore with someone who was feeling a lack of intimacy in their prayer life is that I would explore with them what their patterns of intimacy and non-intimacy were in their human relationships. And one of the areas where we look at this um, is in the area of asking, because the scriptures are very, very clear that, that Jesus, God, invites us to ask yeah. um, for what we need. And in fact, God describes God's self as a father and says, if you, as a human father, a sin, but sinful, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, won't I do even more than that for my own children? And then it, you know, he uses some examples, like if your child asks for an egg, would you give him a snake? Um, and of course, the answer in the human father's heart is, well, of course not. I'm going to give the best thing I can to my children. So I invite people to envision 
themselves as a parent on their very best day of parenting. Yes, yes. And God is saying, you know what? I'm better than you on your very best day. Yeah. You know, I've got more love in my heart than yeah. you have on your very best day, and yeah. I will give good things. And so I'm inviting you to ask me as your good father. I'm asking you to, or I'm inviting you to ask me for things. And so one of the things we'll do on retreat is I'll invite people to go back into their childhood and to say, what was that experience of asking like for you? When you asked your parents for things, what kind of response did you get? Did you get a scarcity mentality? Well, we can't afford that. Did you get a shaming? Well, you shouldn't want that. Um, Did you get something like, well, you don't deserve that? Did you get irritation that you would even ask for something like that? Um, What was it like for you when you asked? Because that's a very intimate experience right there. How a child is responded to when they ask for something out of their heart is a very intimate experience. And so we'll go back into those memories, and oftentimes, I'm telling you, Steve, this is where people go into the tears. Yeah. I can't tell you how this question has ambushed people on retreat, and there's just, people are starting to weep because they realize that their parents responded to them so poorly. It takes them back to a place of shame. It takes them back to a place of hurt. It takes them back to a place of maybe feeling that their parents didn't care. Their parents had no way of expressing to them that they cared for them in the midst of what they were wanting or expressing a desire for, it takes you way back to very, very early primal experiences. And so then we can get in touch with the fact that, well, I don't ask God for things because that early experience has shaped me so profoundly, I don't ask God for anything. And yet the intimacy of asking is part of what God is inviting. And yet we don't even know that there's this obstacle that comes out of our past. So those are the kinds of things that I invite people to look at when, I, when we think about intimacy. I think it's unfortunate that in our culture, the word intimacy has been sexualized yeah. to the extent that we can't talk about this topic because we think we're talking about sex, but that's not true. Right. And for men in particular, I will say that this topic, I will often say that men in particular will struggle with this topic because for them, intimacy always often takes them to thinking about sex, but that's not what this is about. This is about that very intimate early experience between a child and a parent and um, how much you have to trust a parent in order to ask and then how much you can get hurt when when the response to you is negative or shaming. And that this is is what we're talking about, cultivating with God, is the ability to ask for what we need and what we want and to be really honest and open with that. You know... I think with men too, it either takes us to sex or it takes us to the fact uh, that we feel so deficient yeah. mm-hmm. in the area of intimacy that we we lack right. the basic mm-hmm. uh, skills That's to right. draw our wives out yeah. uh, or to be drawn in. That's right. Well, and then the other thing, it takes you to a place of um, vulnerability because in the male, yeah, you know enculturated persona yeah you know the man is supposed to be the one that has it all and can do it all so it, it you know it takes you to a place of needing to be vulnerable and open and tender yeah. which that's a hard place for most men who have been enculturated in our country you know to go to yeah um, you don't want to go to that place of being vulnerable with no. god you want to stay in that oh i can do it anything i need i can go out and get it you know yeah um and i think that's the other thing that that's the other reason why that conversation about intimacy and childhood asking is so tender is because it takes people back to how vulnerable they felt yes as children and you mentioned psalm 131 uh recently so that's david king david 
And he's talking about, I am like a child that's been weaned. Yeah. And that strikes me as such a peculiar mm-hmm. uh, image for a warrior king yes. to right. write about later in life. Mm-hmm. What depths do you think he must have had to have gone mm-hmm. to in his own intimacy with God to be able to get there? Yeah. He had probably, um, well, David was a very unusual man anyway, because yeah. he could go to these emotional places and did frequently in the Psalms. But I wonder if he had um, moved through, you know, what's possible in an, in an intimate relationship when you keep that warrior persona going. And it's yeah. very limiting. You can't go to that tender, vulnerable place when you keep needing to stay in that in that place. Um, it is an interesting metaphor for him because um, you think of it as being sort of a female illustration right. and metaphor. And I keep having I keep having to remind people, no, this is David. This yeah. is a man. Yeah probably watching his wife with a child in that very tender interaction between a very young child and a mother. And um, it's a man saying, this is what's possible. This is what I'd like to experience in my relationship with God. My soul is like a weaned child leaning against the breast of a mother who loves me. You know, it's very, very powerful when you think of it as coming from a man giving us, offering up that metaphor for how to envision our relationship with God. And, you know, the other thing about intimacy is that when we sexualize it, it means we miss out on some of the other expressions of real intimacy in our human experience. And there isn't anything more intimate than a nursing baby either. I mean, that's a very intimate um, image right there. So that's another aspect of human intimacy that I I believe really does come to bear on this uh, um, issue of of prayer. No doubt. Um, so, and I love it that we get offered that in the scriptures, Ugh. you know, um, that it's, it's, it's that other kinds of intimacy really can speak to the intimacy that we're trying to experience with God. And b- by the way, that God wants to have with us. With us. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That God desires to have with us, right. but won't force on us. It's right. always an invitation. It's always, right. oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, so as pastors and ministry leaders, We see it as our job to pray. Mm -hmm. How do we do that and do it well, but also cultivate a rich inner life Mm -hmm. of intimacy with God and without overly separating, well, this is my work prayer life and this is my personal prayer life, or can you? How do you you navigate that? Mm -hmm. I think that's such an important question, and I think it is of utmost importance that pastors and leaders cultivate a time and a place with God that's for themselves and for themselves alone. And um, now that I've talked about not sexualizing everything, <laughs> I'll, I'll say something that's a little bit sexual, and that is that it's sort of like a husband and wife and the intimacy of their lovemaking, yeah. that if either one of you felt like, you know, oh, they're, we're, somebody's going to go out and talk about this in public, oh, right, it, right. you'd really hold yourself back, and, and both of you would hold yourselves back from one another if you felt that it was ever going to be made public. I feel that sometimes that's kind of what happens in our relationship with God, that God holds back if God knows that we might take something public, you know, that's not meant to be public and that we hold back too, you know, that we're really afraid to know things and experience with things with God. If we feel like we are going to have to talk about it later. Yes. And I'm telling you, if it hadn't been for the privacy of that two years that I told you about, if I had thought that in any way I was going to have to teach or talk about what I was experiencing with God at that time, I would not have given myself so completely to what that two years ended up being for me. I had to know that it was private and that if I didn't want to, I would never have to talk about it if I didn't want to. Yeah. Um, because the other thing that was scary about that time was that I was going outside Protestant evangelicalism 
which is where I was living. Yeah. So if I had thought I was going to have to teach or make a case for any of what I was talking about at that time, it was 25 years ago now, I would have held back what I was willing to experience with God because I would have felt that people might really critique me yeah. and and maybe in some way indicate that I was outside the faith or whatever. And so the privacy of that time was part of what was so important about it. So I think that pastors and Christian leaders need to cultivate a place of privacy with God where what happens in that place will not be shared right. until it's till it's time. And that there's right. almost a commitment and a covenant with God to say, God, until you free me to talk about this and until you and I decide together that, that I'm going to talk about this, this is completely private between you and me so that we can both show up all the way in this experience. Yeah, and the dirty little secret is most of us share that stuff way too soon. Way too soon, absolutely. And it becomes theirs, not ours. That's right. And Mm -hmm. um, I want to climb out of like, naughty boy, you did that, Mm -hmm. but into like, oh, you you missed something that really could have been just for mm -hmm. you. That's right. Beautiful for you. And so don't feel shame about that, but also let that be an instruction to say, God is wanting to give me, you, things that are just... Just for you. Yeah, even though you've taken this role of being a pastor yeah. and you're shepherding other people, you get to have something that's just for yourself. You don't have yes. to give it all away. Yes. You know? And can we trust that God will give something to us for that's our right. congregation mm-hmm. and yeah. for us and that there's enough? That's exactly right. right. Yeah. The other thing is, and again, you know, I don't mean to pick on evangelicals, but, you know, one of the things that's just true about our our tradition or that particular, I don't consider myself even to be I don't label myself that way anymore, but it is how I was raised. And uh, evangelical evangelicals are very activistic. Yes. And so the idea that I could have something that was just for me to have, rather than making something out of this and being activistic with it and making a mission out of it, or you know, going yes. off and preaching it, that's a part of what's in our culture. You know, You're so to right. make it to make it a thing rather than just receiving it as a gift that God wants to give us. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So I feel like boom, that's mm-hmm. a mic drop moment right there yeah. for so many of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so I, I I once heard you give a sermon about Moses understanding his life mm-hmm. fundamentally as a life of leadership, as intercession. Mm-hmm. It was a final uh, talk that you mm-hmm. gave right before we left. I was so moved by it. I still am. Can you talk about what you mean by leadership? As intercession. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to look at the life of Moses through the lens of intercession. And let me define that term. I think it's really important for us to define our terms that when we talk about intercession, we're talking about being in God's presence on behalf of others. Okay. That's how I would define it. It's a, it's that, that would be, I I think a a definition that would be rich in our Christian tradition, being um, in God's presence on behalf of others. And so if you look at Moses's life through that lens, you will see that Moses all the way through his life was functioning in that role. He was always in God's presence on behalf of the people. And somehow early on, he established a rhythm where even when the people would complain and things would become very, very difficult, he would have one ear trained to what was going on among the people, but he was always turning himself to God and orienting himself to God on behalf of the people. And I think that's what uh, helped him survive. I actually think it was a key to his survival of such a difficult leadership assignment that he was able to always stay oriented to God in that intercessory prayer stance. So at the Red Sea, that's exactly what happened. The people were afraid. They were complaining. Um, But Moses was listening to God, and he took it to God. Their fears, their concerns, their rebellion, he took it to God. And all the way throughout his story, you'll see these phrases, this rhythm almost, the people complained against Moses, 
and Moses cried out to God. Yes. Moses didn't argue it out with the people. He didn't get it, let himself get overly involved with all their emotion and their critique. He didn't get defensive and all that usually. Um, usually he took it and then he marched right into the presence of God with it. And so you see that intercessory prayer stance all over the place. He was actually interceding for God by this, interceding for the people by this definition at the experience with the golden calf. Yes. He was actually talking to God about the people and being in God's presence on their behalf. And in fact, in fact, the whole tent of meeting concept where Moses would go out to the tent of meeting and spend time in God's presence, he was there as an intercessor. He was there in God's presence on their behalf, and they knew it. And so they were actually quite reverent about that. When they would see him going to the tent of meeting, they would actually bow down at the the entrances of their tents because they knew their leader was going into God's presence on their behalf. It gives me chills just to talk about that. It really, really does. And one of the reasons it gives me chills is because it's so far from how leaders see themselves today. I don't ever hear leadership conferences talk about intercession right. and being in God's presence in this way for the people that God has given us. It's always strategic. It's always something else. I don't ever hear this as, as a main topic. The other thing that I've seen happen is that we've identified intercessory prayer as a ministry ah. that becomes separate. Some people have Some that people gift. have that calling and that gift, so they do intercessory prayer over there, and somehow that leaves the leader off the hook. And it's usually not the leader that would say that I have that gift, you know? No, like, no, they the always give it to these, you know, yes. pe- these, I mean, can we say it? Yes. That, that intercessors are seen as the being kind of weird the, and, you know, yeah. have a lot of time on their hands and yes. that sort of thing. And they sometimes have weird methods and, yeah. and things like that. Um, let, me, let me hasten to add that we have intercessors in, right. here in the Transforming Center, and I still consider it to be an extremely important part of my job yeah. is to be in God's presence on behalf of the people in this ministry and in our communities and to be in God's presence around the issues that we're facing. That is my job. It will never not be my job, even yeah. though we have intercessors in yep. our ministry. So um, I think this is a very powerful part of Moses' example to us, and I do think it's why he was able to survive um, his experience, his yeah. long-term difficult experience. And so the challenge that I put forth to myself and to others is to say, do your people see you that way? Wow. Do they see you entering into the tent of meeting on their behalf? Do they kneel down in reverence when they know that you, their leader, is going into the presence of God on their behalf? Because I tell you, I do believe that when people know their leaders to be that kind of person, even if they disagree, they they are in disagreement in a different way with a leader that they know is in God's presence for them. You can still disagree on the content of something, but you can still affirm who that leader is. And I think that it gives you a much more solid place to stand on even when you do disagree. When they see you as that kind of person for them, the relationship is different. Yes, I I would say. And and for the leader's perspective, too, uh, you know, when we feel... I mean, Moses has Numbers 11, one of my favorite stories of Moses Mm -hmm. in all the scriptures. Kill me now, Lord. Yes. Did I give birth yeah. to these people? Yeah. If if I need to keep mm-hmm. leading these people, if you love me, yeah. kill me because right. it's because because they're killing me. Mm-hmm. So Moses expresses this very vulnerable intimacy, but at the end of the day, in that very same passage, he he fights for them. He yeah. he's always advocating for them, and so I think even when they're as they're grumbling toward him because he's spending, I think, that much time interceding for them. Yes. He loves them. Well, and the other thing is that the reverse side of that is when God is going to wipe out the people right. at the golden calf. And Moses says, well, if you're going to wipe them out, take me with them. Yeah. Because this is, I'm committed to them. Yes. All the way to the yes. death. So yes. if you're going to wipe them out of your book, 
you know, wipe me, me out too. too, because this is, this is what I'm here to be about. This is what you gave me to do. And I'm, I'm committed, <sighs> you know, think what a different response. I mean, I would go like, yeah, yeah take, take them, them out, take them and give me another group to uh, yeah, lead. Yes, exactly. absolutely. <laughs> but that's the other thing that's yeah. fascinating about, about Moses. He didn't, there wasn't a, another job across that's town right. that he could take. These were his people. That's right. And th- that was the only mm-hmm. thing. And so I think, um, there's just something to that. Like, what does it mean to, to really embed ourselves in an intercessory way for as long as right. we are in charge or these people right. are Right, and part care. of what's happened in our culture is that the pastor has become a career, yeah. not a calling. Right. So I'm looking for that next step in my career as opposed to the kind of long-term commitment that Moses demonstrates for us. Well, this has been so rich. Um, we can, I, I, This one, I feel like we could go on for mm-hmm. hours, but we've talked about deepening our intimacy with God. We've talked about the different ways of praying. We've talked about intercession. We've talked about rest in prayer, using fixed hour prayer, spontaneous prayer. That's been so good. Mm. So good. So now we thought in order to end it with an experience, we've been talking about intercessory prayer. Now let's do an exercise. And this is going to come right out of Ruth, your book, Strengthening the soul of your leadership. So lead us through that. Wonderful. So if you can, if you're not driving in a car or something like that and can actually um, take a few moments in quiet, you could pull back from your desk or wherever it is that you're listening to this and get into a comfortable position, put your feet flat on the floor, your back straight, um, your hands open on your lap perhaps as a way of opening yourself to God and, and having an experience of receptivity to God. And what we're going to do is we're going to move through some categories of persons and situations that all of us hold concerns for. But rather than working so hard to remember anything or to try to bring words to what you're praying, um, I'm just going to pray a brief phrase, and then there will be a silence that follows. And in that silence, you're going to allow God to bring the names and the faces of people that you know uh, to your mind and to your heart, and you're just going to hold them with those open hands on your lap. You're just going to hold them in God's presence. And then I will close with a phrase like, may they know the deep peace of Christ. So go ahead and breathe deeply and become aware of the presence of God with you. Become aware of the intimacy that you and God share. And now we're going to allow God to bring persons and situations to mind uh, to move right into that intimate place that God and I share and just to uh, allow the love of God to wash all over that situation. Lord God, I hold in your healing presence those who suffer pain and ill health. May they know the deep peace of Christ. Loving God, I hold in your healing presence those who suffer in mind and spirit. May they know the deep peace of Christ. Loving God, I hold in your healing presence the suffering people of our world and the places where people are experiencing hurt and division, including places of hurt and division in my own life.
may we know the deep peace of Christ. Loving God, I hold in your healing presence those experiencing grief and loss. May they know the deep peace of Christ. Loving God, I hold in your healing presence those who need wisdom for their next steps. May they know the deep peace of Christ. Loving God, I hold in your healing presence those people and situations that seem broken beyond repair. May they know the deep peace of Christ. Loving God, I hold in your healing presence and peace those whose needs are not known to me but who are known by you and those for whom I have been asked to pray. And I name in my heart all those who are close to me. And Go ahead and say their names in your heart. May they know the deep peace of Christ. And now glory to God from whom all love flows. Glory to Jesus who showed his love through suffering. And glory to the Holy Spirit who brings light to the darkest places. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ruth, for that. Um, beautiful, beautiful. So in the next episode, we're going to be talking about one of the biggest traps uh, in engaging scriptures that pastors face, and that's to just look at scriptures as a way to get something for our people and not for ourselves. Can't wait for that. Thank you so much, Ruth. And uh, we'll see you all in episode four. Thanks so much for listening today. There are so many podcasts out there, and we are grateful that you've chosen to spend this 30 minutes with us. Thank you so much, Steve, for such a great set of questions and for taking your own step of faith to join a transforming community so long ago in 2011. Now, I'd like to ask you a favor. I'd like to ask if you would help us to launch this podcast by doing a couple things. First, would you download these three episodes on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcasts? Now, I admit I know nothing about what I'm saying, but I'm still asking you to do it because the guys around here are telling me that this is the cool thing to do. Um, also, if you would leave a rating and a review in iTunes, that would be great as well. Thank you so much for helping us in this way. 
If you're a pastor or a clergy person or hold a leadership position in some Christian ministry organization, and if you want to forge a stronger connection between your soul and your leadership, and if the topic of today strikes a chord with you, um, consider this as an invitation to learn more about the Transforming Community, a two-year experience of spiritual formation for pastors and Christian leaders. Our experience is grounded in scripture, it's animated by a Trinitarian approach to transformation and community, it's informed by the richness and the diversity of our Christian heritage. Here in the Transforming Center, we are excited to be celebrating our 15-year anniversary, and the launch of this podcast series is a part of that celebration. So as we celebrate, we want to give a gift to you, and we'd like to waive the $50 application fee for the Transforming Community through April 15th. So if you'd like to take advantage of that, just visit our blog, transformingcenter.org, find the show notes for this episode, and we'll also have links there to the other resources that we have mentioned in this podcast. Thank you for listening. We pray that these resources and this conversation will be an ongoing blessing for you in your life and leadership.